Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Why I Make Art, the Sound and Vision podcast book, is just about to release. It features 30 artist features, quotes from artists on themes ranging from music to art school, and some of the Sound and Vision guest book sketches by the artists. There's also a lot of images of the artist's work. It's a thick paperback, perfect for just jumping into at any point for inspiration and insight. It's available for pre-order at just 25 bucks at Altillier Editions' website. You can find a link at Sound and Vision podcast website to order. Pre-orders are extremely helpful, so if you're planning to grab a copy, please go for it now. I'm super excited about the book, and for all of you to hold it and have it in your studio or on the train or wherever else you read about art stuff, thanks so much for the support. Sound and Vision is supported by the New York Studio School. The school welcomes artists from around the world to join this summer in New York City or virtually from anywhere in the world. To learn from dedicated artists and to expand as a maker in the school's legendary marathon program. Rigorous and immersive marathons unfold over 10 days from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time daily and present an extensive range of art making strategies comprehensive critiques, and inspirational discussions. Expansive first-hand discoveries propel artists to relate to drawing, painting, and sculpture as direct methodologies for understanding their experience in the world, the profound impact of which continues far beyond each marathon's conclusion. Generous, partial scholarships are available. Visit nyss.org to apply today. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden make their signature line of acrylic paints, core watercolors, and Williamsburg oils. I'm starting a new group of paintings, and I'm really excited to get into it with my Golden Gesso matte mediums and my Golden Acrylics. I've been using Golden for over 20 years, and it's never failed me in the studio. The new line of So Flat gives a supremely matte surface, and if you're after shine, the gloss varnish does an amazing job. It's an employee-owned company based in upstate New York. Golden's available in your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Based in Seattle, Fulcrum makes incredible coffee that you can have delivered to your door. They have subscription services where you can have different blends delivered that you tailor to your favorite balance of coffee beans. You could save 20% on your order by entering the code ALFREDSTUDIO when you order from their site. Check out their amazing coffee at fulcrumcoffee.com. Andy Lappin is an artist born in Washington, D.C., who received her MFA from the University of California, Los Angeles in 2007, her post-baccalaureate certificate from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago in 2004, and her B.A. from Yale University in 2001. Andy lives and works in Los Angeles. Her recent solo exhibitions include Sholomet Nazarian in Los Angeles, Miles McHenry Gallery in New York, Honor Fraser in Los Angeles, Josh Lilly in London, Anna Ruma Gallery in Naples, the Weatherspoon Art Museum in Greensboro, North Carolina, Utepec Gallery in Mexico City, and the Museum of Contemporary Art in Santa Barbara. Annie's work is included in the permanent collections of the High Museum of Art in Atlanta, 
the LA County Museum of Art in Los Angeles, the Nerman Museum of Contemporary Art in Overland Park, Kansas, the Orange County Museum of Art in California, the Rubel Family Collection in Miami, the Santa Barbara Museum in California, the Weatherspoon Art Museum in Greensboro, North Carolina, and others. I spoke with Annie about collage angles, faithy acts, sampling, the lexicon of technique, and much more. Here's our conversation. So, how, how was the trip? Um, it was great. I mean, I got to see a lot of friends, So, because so many of my friends live in New York, and... I was only there for the opening, and then I left the next day to go to my really good friend's house that he just, this little cabin in Marlboro that was really nice, and he hosted a bunch of our old college friends for just hanging out in the woods. It was really nice, yeah. So it's a nice trip. Yeah, it was, it was great. It's amazing to get to see my old people. And you have art up. Is it is it um, is it a weirder? I mean, I'm, I know you've done it before, but is it what's the the sort of experience of showing the stuff not in your home base? Um, do you feel a little separation anxiety, or yeah. like you dropped your kids off at college or something? I do. I really do. It feels really strange, actually. Um, also, because I had to arrive sort of last minute, and I think psychologically I don't, did I mention to this this to you or I was talking about it the night of the opening there's something about seeing your paintings you know the last time you see them they're in the studio they're getting packed and then suddenly they're on the wall when you arrive in this new place and that feels really wrong like there's something about the yeah. transition from the studio to the packaging to the floor in the gallery to the wall that allows it to feel like it's still the thing that you made. But once it goes on the wall, it's kind of like, it's instantly, I don't know, there's no transition. It's this very strange thing that feels alien and sort of disturbing. So I'm gonna, it was a mental note to, in the future, be present for the hanging. (laughs) Yeah, and maybe you should just hop in the the van or the moving truck and and go through the whole shipping (laughs) process. Yeah, I'm gonna be with my babies. (laughs) I'm never going to leave them It again. is a weird feeling, right? You load them up into a van at the studio usually, and then next thing you know, turn it out, see you guys in a couple weeks on the walls. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a little weird. Um, because also you, I think there's a way that I imagine them interacting with each other that's really clear in the studio, and they make sense like in that space, and they make sense in a space that I have in my mind for when they would be exhibited. But if that space is suddenly fully formed by the time I get there, then it feels really, um, I mean, it's a little upsetting. (laughs) So I have to. So there's no magic though? You don't feel like it's like, let's say your kids are doing a performance or something. They leave the house, they get picked up by the school bus and they're wearing their uniform or their outfit. And then you go a couple hours later and you see them on stage and they're playing their instrument or something but there's a little bit of the magic of the stage and the ambiance and the environment but do you you don't get that as much with the painting um I think that there's so much I think it's a control freak thing like I think I'm a bit of a control freak about my own work I I think I would not be a control freak about my children getting on stage (laughs) I wouldn't be like what are you doing why are you wearing that her hair is out of place 
Um, but the paintings are a little bit more of my uh, control area. So I think Damn, I, that's good for the kids. You've got it adjusted right because it would be a bummer if you were like with the paintings, you didn't care. And then the kids are like, what are you doing wearing those shoes? Yeah, exactly. You know, you're, they're going to be very chill kids. Probably well, they're lucky. I'm to, yeah, they're lucky. I'm so distracted yeah. by painting. So. <laughs> Takes the edge off. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's good. I mean, I think I have a good relationship with them, but sometimes my daughter's like, mom, are you happy you had kids? And I really, I think what? I'm a decent mom, but like, I think she's also like really interested in my level of interest in painting, in my painting and my oh, studio practice. Yeah, so yeah. she's seven, but she really, it's very sweet. Like sometimes she'll just be like, how can I make conversation with my mom? And then she'll be like, what did you make in the studio today? And I'm like, what are you doing? I never asked my parents what they did. Like, it's <laughs> really sweet. Yeah, but nothing's a secret anymore. Everyone knows everything about everyone. I guess that's true. But back in the day, you could be, you could have a parent and really not even know what they do. That's true. I mean, you know, like they work in blah, 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 blah. And then it was just like you, it was a name for it, but you didn't even know what they did when they left the house. That's true. Nowadays you can track know everyone knows that's true yes but you know what it tells me it tells me you probably have a pretty nice studio because if your studio like one of the nice things about having a show is that you get to see the work spread out Mm -hmm. you know and a lot of times if you have a small cramped studio you can only see like one or two things at a time and you can only get so far back from it but I don't know do you have a little more space where you can see them all simultaneously yeah I mean in Los Angeles I I am lucky to have a lot of space here compared to the New York studio. And, you know, all of this is to say that I actually really loved the show, the way they hung it. I wouldn't have done it anything. I really wouldn't have done anything differently. It's just that kind of strange, um, personal, psychological, control freaky thing. Right, right. Um, And, yeah, seeing them all out was great. Um, That was a good save there. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think they did do a good job, actually. For reals. <laughs> well, it looked good. Yeah, That's no, sure. I think the paintings look good. It's just an interesting, like, personal thing that I, I I'm not aware I love of it. I mean, we, we all have quirks mm-hmm. when it comes to working in our work. That's what makes us... I mean, you know, we decide to spend the majority of our lives in a cave making pictures. So, of course, we're going to have a little, you know, idiosyncrasies about it. Yeah. You know? I mean, I actually... I'm so aware of my own control-freaky, like, neurotic nature in terms of like hanging a show that I was almost like it's better just to let them do it because I'm going to have all this like annoying anxiety as they're putting it up I better just not insert myself because I'm sure it will be the same regardless (laughs) and uh you know I think that that was you know there's kind of like a balance there you know I should involve myself just to kind of be a part of the process but right to make it like you it's not like you don't care I have a thing where I'm very lenient about installing things and stuff like that, but the peripheral stuff I get really worked up about. Like the writing? Like, and I, I've learned to chill out about it, but no, like I would, if I had my way, the catalogs would be a certain way. There would be certain things that I do around the work, but I do give a lot to just letting, I've learned to embrace other people's voices in the process of like sharing the work or the involvement you know whereas i think deep down in my mind i'd like to micromanage every square inch of it yeah yeah no i think so too i mean i don't there's the i mean i think part of it is that it's confusing where it goes into a commercial like the commercial component of it 
you know, that I don't want to, I don't want to be a part of at all. And, and it's, but there's like this kind of, uh, kind of spectrum between, you know, your personal involvement and creation of the work and then the communication about the work. And then it starts to go into this other world where it is about the gallery and it's about that other space where people are, you know, engaging with it outside of your control. And it's hard to figure out where to place your involvement boundaries. Totally. It's weird, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of a weird, it's, it's a little more separated in a sense. Whereas other people who have like normal nine to fives, they go to the office and they got to deal with that stuff. It's integrated into their experience where we can kind of like do our thing in the studio. There's no one really telling us anything necessarily. Yeah, right. But then, then it goes out and then you have to negotiate. So it's kind of like, in a way, it's kind of a luxury, it you is. know, that we do get to just do what. That's the the draw and the and the give and take of it. I think is that we're lucky that we get to call the shots, but it's so hard to do it because it's the sustainability of it. It's so hard to do the job that we do because it's hard to be sustainable in the job. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like you have to lean on you know the support system of a market and being able to sell stuff to spend all your time making it, but at the same time you you just do it all yourself and then you send it away and hope the other people do a good job with it. Yeah. Yeah. We're very spoiled to not have to, um, have coworkers, (laughs) but then we sort of do when it comes to the commercial part of it. Yeah. But we don't get insurance and all that other stuff. You know, it's all like, it all evens out, right? Right. We don't get insurance. We don't there, you know, there could be a year where everything is just really weird and you don't have a show. So yeah. Yeah. It's I know, to your point of like the control freak. I just want to, you know, co-sympathize with you on that. I mean, I can't have an assistant. Oh, I can't have anyone in the studio because yeah. they won't do it the way I want them to do it. And then I'll feel bad about having to keep them busy, not trusting them to do anything. You know, yeah. I tried it a couple of times. It didn't work. Yeah. It's stressful to just figure out what to have people do. Exactly. Um, uh, I yeah I recently have I have an amazing stu- uh, assistant Sarah Mackenzie Smith who comes like once a, a week right now sometimes twice a week but she's she's great I mean the way that these new paintings work is that there are so many different components and styles that I mean it's rare I, if I was there was no way I could have hired somebody in any other time but she can prep the work but also there are some little moments where she can just like do her thing in terms of like painting. And it works because yeah. the work is all about these kind of disparate moments coming together. That's serendipitous. Yeah. That was a pro transition from that talk of the business side to just getting things back in the studio. Okay. Nicely done. <laughs> it's not intentional, but so, I'm glad it worked out. Well, no, I know. It's, but it is a, uh, it, it's such a, I mean, from an outsider perspective, I mean, I've seen your work and I haven't read, you know, tons and tons about, you know, I kind of like to go in fresh. Yeah, great. And I haven't read a lot about your agenda on the painting or like how you come to it, but it, it feels very collaged in many, in more ways than one. So how did you, I mean, this is a very long A to B, but how did you get to that point? I mean, were you always kind of interested in collage and not, not literally in cutting out (laughs) magazines, but you know, pulling different things together or is that something that purely came out of the, you know, the education and like the art school and like doing it 
for years and years. Yeah, well, the collage part is actually very sort of, it's pretty recent. It started more in 2016, um, maybe actually in 2015. So I used to, I've always worked in this way since grad school where I am sort of starting with either an image that is an actual painting that I paint and then dismantle until I'm kind of deconstructing it until it kind of, I'm constantly trying to find other images within the image. And that's what mm -hmm. I was doing for a really long time. Um, and so my earlier landscapes and also kind of paintings of people um, were sort of like these arrangements of figures in the landscape um, that I would not have a reference for, but just use like, you know, sometimes it'd be like a Rorschach looking at some dots on the painting. And then I would kind of have these strange cultural um, events happening or strange landscape things that were sort of symbolic um, that would emerge in this almost, you know, flow of conscious surrealist way, although I hated being associated with surrealism back then, um, post-grad school. And then, um, and then that morphed in, then I kind of had a loss of faith around like 2011, because uh, I graduated in 20, 2007, and had my first show and that was fine and I was kind of just driven by this like vision that I had of seeing things in things um, and then I was like and they were always kind of about this kind of ritualistic thing that was happening in nature that was also so I had like this idea about um, you know just trying to make something mysterious that I would come upon but that didn't after a while it didn't feel like um, a crisp enough motivation for me because I was just like driven by these images and I, I sort of lost faith in everything and I had a gallerist who was like I don't even know I mean, he liked the paintings but he was like can you explain this to me and it was kind of exhausting and I was like I can't explain this to you and anyway there's a lot of things that made me just lose interest in in doing that or in fact I was almost like I don't even want to paint anymore <laughs> and then I was like well, what do I even like in terms of painting and so I really just started to allow myself to just enjoy any era of painting, and I got really interested in these like Rococo and Romantic paintings because I would always, you know, I had previously kind of thought they were horrible when I was in grad school for right. various, uh, you know, deconstructive Marxist reasons or whatever. And then I was like, no, like there's something magical in these. And so that started to be, I started to then just start with one of those landscapes or my understanding of what they were. I would often like just, I wouldn't have a reference of the landscape, but I would draw upon the techniques and the paint applications or the, the you know, the sense of the compositions of Rococo or like a romantic landscape. And then I would paint like seven different landscapes on top of that or, or figures or things that would come out of the sky. And the paintings were very um, layered, but it was just kind of constantly destroying the previous painting, and it was all oil paint. Um, and it was a lot of destruction. It was super stressful because you're, you know, you never know what you're going to end up with. I mean, I guess that's. I never had a reference. Um, I was always just trying to find the image in the la in the previous image, and a lot of that was also my interest in this idea of like you know, the trappings of, an, of a movement or an era and my memory of how those things are constructed and how they develop in this almost like Rorschach way. It's hard, if you have any questions about that, I know I'm not explaining myself properly. No, no, I totally get what you're saying. Um, 
so it was more like the essence of these kind of memories of historical things. And then I got frustrated with that because it was like, I had, for me, that, you know, it's always about, it's always been about like, how do we understand what we see and how do we come to an object with a certain amount of visual memory that allows us to see what we see or, or intuit things or, or make an image in our mind. And the work was always interpreted as, oh, you know, these romantic landscapes that are abstracted romantic landscapes. That's what she does. And I was like, that's, that's not really what I'm interested in. Like, I'm really interested in, like, how the mind puts together symbols and creates stories. And so I just, like, tore it all down again. And I was pregnant. And I was like, I'm not going to use oil paint while I'm pregnant. So I started playing. I was in the studio, and I was like, and I had seen this um, Werner Herzog movie, The Cave of Forgotten Dreams. And I had always had this like shame about the way that my paintings evolved, which was a lot about this um, process of seeing things and then building it up, like Rorschach, but it is also like this Ernst, um, you know, frotage, you know, see, surrealist idea. Yeah. And I had shame about it. I don't know why, probably. Why? I was going to say, <laughs> I why would you have shame about it? I don't know, because I, I mean, I think, I, yeah, grad school, I don't know, just like all these yeah. things. Was it in relation to other stuff going on, too, and maybe you felt like, well, this isn't what people are tapping into, or was it just purely in, intuitive of like, well, I don't, I don't know if this is right. Well, it was so, it was so, I think that, you know, like speaking of teaching, I think the thing that, we do we're trained at a certain point in school or maybe it's just who we are in in the world today but like especially in school and grad school you're trained to basically be critical of anything that comes naturally in a certain way so for me right. like that rorschach seeing things finding you know the image that was me that's like what i've always done that's just been my most clear um you know, foundation for just everything I do, whether it's a drawing or anything since I was very young. Um, I guess it's a surrealist impulse, but I really, you know, it's just, that's such a specific art historical movement that I really, I'm interested in, um, you know, Bergsonian ideas and like ideas about like, you know, art being this manifestation of thought. So I'm okay with that, but I just didn't want to be like too connected to Dolly, I guess. <laughs> Right. So, um, so yeah, I had shame about it, I guess, because of that, because it's of the connection that, to Dolly. Oh, <laughs> uh, right. In grad school, well, that wasn't cool. Funny. No, and, and that, your point is right on about where they get you to try to abandon that safe place or that, that thing that comes naturally or whatever. Yeah. Which is so funny because I think once you purge the, the school experience from you and you get out back into the world and making things, I feel like most of the time people always gravitate back towards that. Oh, this is me. I think you have this to. This comes from me. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, you you get away from feeling like it's a crutch and you, you own it more and feel like, oh, this is part of who I am. Yeah. But it is important to question it in school or to go through a moment of questioning it. Otherwise, you're just on autopilot, essentially, you know? So I think that's kind of like the breakdown, build back up part of being in schools that, you know, they make you question, don't just fall on what comes easy or what comes natural you know, push away from it. And then when you go back to it, you'll at least have that experience of thinking about the other side of things. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I certainly do not 
uh, begrudge that process because I think just being an artist is so hard. You have to have a, a critical dialogue with yourself and also you have to just withstand the misery of judgment constantly. So get ready. <laughs> um, but also... <laughs> you hear that kids out there listening? Yeah. You know, get ready for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, or you just have to learn how to inure yourself to it. But um, yeah, so for me actually with teaching, because I had, I was teaching you know, after grad school and I just remember going through like my lectures and being like the artists that I, that I, were just the most amazing to me and the ones that I would get kids to think about were the ones that had developed this really idiosyncratic, like super rabbit hole world that they developed. And I was like, how do they do that? That's their idiosyncratic self coming out. And I was like, what is my idiosyncratic self? Obviously, I've been denying it. I mean, it's still there, but I've been shameful. That's so stupid. Like, that's the key to making great art is just go with that idea and then develop that logic and world to the point where it's has its own life. So, um, so yeah, anyway, then I was like, okay, I'm going to start with these basics. Like, people, and also just seeing that Cave of Forgotten Dreams, it also justified that process of seeing things and making work out of seeing things because I was like it's foundational you know Herzog was showing like the candlelight hitting the shadows on those undulating walls and then you would see the, the creatures coming out of that and maybe that's how they would even make the images that they would they put on the walls is that they would you know see these shadows and they would appear to be looking like something and they would just kind of bring it out so I had all these huge linen canvases and I would just pour charcoal Sometimes I would throw charcoal, which sort of defeats the pro per like it defeats the purpose of not having a toxic studio. But anyway, I had to do it. <laughs> right. And so they would just have all these shadows on the on the canvases, and that's what I would start to react to. Um, but I would also because the charcoal on the linen was so immediate and material, and that material seemed really important. I didn't want to paint over the whole thing. Um, like an oil painting. So I would import it into Photoshop at that point and start to process the various, um, you know, possibilities for how this could kind of take form on Photoshop and on the computer. And um, that's how the collaging started. Um, because, yeah, of course, Photoshop has a collaging element. And, um, and yeah, so there is collage. On that yeah, level. but it sounds like you're also collaging lex the lexicon of painting too, in a way, talking about different styles and the way things are painted, and then merging some of those, which is an interesting parallel, you know, non-literal collaging in the sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm interested in things sort of like merging together. Like, and I think it's happening more and more over time. Here's like an well, you can't. The, I guess nobody's going to see this, but this is like <laughs> I can a painting that is. You know, there's a collage element, but there's a, a, I would like the space to also be a fully formed space you can navigate in a certain way, as opposed to just like pastiche collage type situations. Right, right. Yeah, like the, the postmodern sense of just like slapping one thing on top of the picture plane. Right, like I, maybe it's like a post postmodern thing where it's like, it's not just random anymore, it's all coming back together. Like before it was it's just... using back together. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like trying to be post-ironic or coming back to some sense of like, oh, there is like, despite our knowing that everything is just a construction, maybe there's still some meaning. <laughs> like that's my really broad yeah. strokes there. Um <laughs> It's funny because when you talk about that shame slash interest in, you know, p 
pulling the image out of like finding the not using the reference essentially and like you know the the image emerges or you find something emerging out from the process i mean essentially that's the same as really taking a bunch of different photographs or photographic reference we're all like trying to pull an image out of something whether it's our collective consciousness our our you know uh, our imagination or, or just images that are around us and collaging those it's it's really the same process it just looks a lot different depending on the way we're doing it do you know what i mean yeah it's like a little weird everybody has their own little distillation factory happening in their brain um and for me now the way that uh the distillation factory works is really a lot about historical cultural visual memory um and then also some elements of my daily life too like I take photo like my my iPhone being my photo thing of the landscape um and um yeah I mean I always was really interested in I, I okay so one of the things that I thought was really interesting around the time when I graduated from grad school was this movement that you know, it was a lot of artists who were dealing with the materiality of the object of the painting, like Diana Molzon or even like Analia Saban, um, who, you know, look at the painting and kind of find the truth of it in its own constituent parts and then kind of make these interesting thought plays and visual forms based on that. And I really thought that was super interesting and and really interesting on a level that related to my thinking or my indoctrination with critical theory and stuff like that about like the truth of the object. Um, and so I was, but I was so drawn to imagery and art historical forms and things, you know, kitsch and just like the visual um, depicted things. So I wanted to kind of, I imagined the, the painting as you know, obviously it's this object that has, you know, threads of linen and bars that you can approach it that way. But I also imagine that as an object, it contains all of these references at the moment you come to right. it, because it's like that's in your brain as you interact with it. So I imagine as this container for every reference that ever existed with regards to that specific object. So I think about like color field theory and I mean, not color field theory, but color field poor painting and I'm interested in all of those things like being inside of this canvas that I'm just trying to like allow to play with on a structural level yeah well where not to to zoom out too much but where does all that come from <laughs> what do you mean all my weird like, thinking we, about stuff no no I mean the no that's sort of like the the invest the desire of investigating the form of the thing like can you track that back to you know yeah your interest in growing up as like a kid yeah or like your parents oh no they're super like, yeah where is it all tied to <laughs> it, where does it i can answer that were you born right in dc i was is born in dc um did you grow up there or somewhere else so i moved to kentucky when i was about 10 and i lived in a small town outside of louisville um and then I moved to Japan when I was 16, and I lived with my family there because my dad was transferred to Tokyo. So um, my interest in the world as a painter has to do with this, I mean, so, okay, whatever. It's, it's so, it, 
I'm stumbling and stuttering because it's, it's big and super personal and real, but hard to talk about. I, as a kid, was, you know, moving from D.C. to Kentucky. I had had a pretty progressive education. I um, had been learning about evolution. I uh, was very aware about, you know, racial justice, like things like that, that we were learning about in school because I grew up in a diverse place and also maybe it's just a certain kind of, well, whatever, it's left-leaning where I was. And then I moved to Kentucky and I, um, you know, I remember I basically, I was at a sleepover party once right after I moved there and the girls were all like, well, where do we come from? How, how are we here? And I was just like, well, you know, we did evolve from apes, you know, coming out of Africa. And they were like shocked and horrified that I would say such a thing. And they didn't have, had never heard of it. And it was just this kind of like, and then I remember them saying, I'm gonna ask my mom. And then they came back and they're like, my mom said it's not true. So you're crazy. Um, it was just like an understanding. <laughs> you blue to red. What? Pretty, pretty, you went pretty deep blue to red there. Yeah, and I was still, you know, I was like the town atheist. Like I, you know, people did not know what to make of me. And I, you know, I'm, I don't like wear that like a badge of honor. Like that's just, that's just where I was. That's my, where I come from. And um, I'm sure it was uncomfortable. It, it, you know? it sometimes was, but also I think like, yeah, it just made me feel like, the reality that I have is not shared by others. And so as much as I, but I was also very interested in like what reality was at that point too, because I was like, well, how can these people live in this totally different world? What about my world am I totally making up as well? Or just, you know, what, what am I seeing that's not there? So I was just really constantly scared that the world was gonna like burn up suddenly. Like I just like, what's real? I don't know. Yeah. And I had some little panic attacks here and there about like, what is real? I mean, I moved to Japan and that was, I mean, I loved learning about all these different experiences that people had and have an and understanding of the world. Um, and Japan is also super interesting. And I lived, I went to an American school, but I was really interested in, you know, just how people's, I mean, people are people, but they also have different experiences of the world. Anyway, so my, my understanding of like what the world is was always very much in flux and like what is real. I used to be super freaked out about like whether probability was just just a total farce and like tomorrow the world could end, like just suddenly. Because I was like, why, why, why is it gonna keep going? I don't know. So I was really right. panicked and scared about this stuff as a kid. Um, and I, it wasn't like all terrible, but it was just definitely characterized my experience of the world. And as I got older, it, it just became like an interested in like, how do I know what's there? And how does my mind work? And um, so painting, I, I didn't actually expect to be an, a painter, but um, it, it was like a good way to kind of play with how the mind brings images and makes sense of things and so that's where all that comes from is just like approaching this object of the painting as what is it like what is a painting what is this thing <laughs> what is a thing <laughs> i love it that the thing that you were probably exposed to er a little earlier than most people and that made you question basically 
reality. You became an existentialist before you needed to, in a sense, because you were thrown into different environments where people believed so specifically a thing that was different than what you had experienced early. Yeah. Because usually kids like go to call it like it takes them a little while to to be thrown into something, you know, different like that, you know. Yeah. So but then you've created this world in the studio to where that's a parallel to what is actually in reality, I think, you know, that idea of like, oh, well, the world could just end tomorrow. Why not? Well, it could. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like we have no answers, really. None of us. Right. Yeah. Like even, I mean, you may believe in gravity and that may be a fact, but we don't know why gravity exists or how it came to be necessarily. Right. There are no answers. And it's the same thing in the studio. We're creating problems or we're creating solutions and investigations, but there is no real right or wrong or, you know, right. it's, it's so subjective and nebulous and based on uncertainty in a way. And I feel like so many of us, as beings want structure. We want to feel like, like that old adage of like parents being like, well, don't be an artist, you know, go out and get like, be a doctor, then you have a job. Mm -hmm. But you could be unemployed as a doctor. Like you could not find a job. You could not, there is no necessarily um, stability. Like, that's true. That's guaranteed to anyone. So, you know, yeah. you've kind of created a, a microcosm of that universe in the studio in a way. Yeah, like it is really good. I, I also because I'm so un not okay with instability. Like I had earlier on, I was like, why did I choose this career? This is the worst career for me as a human. But I, I think obviously had that moment as an artist, I guess right? So, yeah. <laughs> that reckoning. Uh, yeah. Wait, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but um, it really it it does it it does. It's been. I'm so grateful that I. Got, I get to do this because it does express something for me that um, has really helped me work some stuff out. And also, it's interesting, like, that idea or you're saying, like, um, the, the instability in the studio and not there is no right answer to how we move forward. Um, you, we do have to develop, and maybe not everybody feels this way, but for people who are... Uh, don't feel self-assured naturally. You have to develop like a very strange, almost religion regarding your work, right? Like you have to be like, I have faith that this is what I have to do. Um, right. And that came for me sort of later as I understood in a way that the people that I, you know, like somebody like Carol Dunham, like why is he making those works? Like he, something must be driving him deep inside that he just believes to listen to. And uh, he may not be as neurotic as me, so he doesn't have to be like, why am I doing this? He's just like, this makes sense. But for me, I have to say, okay, like I have to believe that this is the process that will unlock this thing that I can do. And it is sort of like a, a faithy act. So it's helpful. Right, well, there's just as much of the faith in that as there is in someone who just loves to paint flowers and they're like, I have faith that it's important enough for me to paint flowers and it doesn't have to be anything more than that. I Do you totally know I mean? like it's, it's the same, the same kind of like investment of, I think the, the only true, maybe this is like the blue collar side of me is the only true investment is the work that you're doing. You know what I mean? Like whether it's thinking about it or, or actually making it or whatever it is, right. that is the, the altruistic kind of like, 
work that you're putting in and and the investigation into what it is it doesn't mean like how many hours you're technically at the studio it's like sort of like how much you're devoting your mind and your ideas and your actions to it you know which is kind of like you know that's why when i'm teaching i'm trying to encourage students to make work yeah to, to work through things because there's a lot of stuff that you you know that you learn just by devoting your mind and your energy and your spirit and your physical you know work ethic to you know and that might be altruistic but i feel like that's where you know great strides have been made in the history of art and in individual people's studios you know right like the volume of making will allow you to unlock the thing that's naturally going to come out of you or something and it might not even be just the volume of making it might just be the volume of commitment that you put in because mm-hmm. it doesn't always mean like you know like there's conceptual artists who barely make any work at all mm-hmm. but they're living eating and breathing thinking about it so right. it's more of like the the personal investment whether that's hours in the studio like making things thinking about it you know whatever it is but you can kind of tell if someone's really into it yeah you know right or if it's just like well i think i'll make eight gray paintings with a squeegee and then see if i could sell these for two hundred thousand dollars yeah <laughs> yeah that didn't work all right i'm gonna use a rake <laughs> and no i'm just kidding it's i mean that could be somebody else's process that they're just like gonna keep working until they make that two hundred thousand dollar painting and sometimes it works out I was going to say, haven't you seen those people that maybe if you saw one of their pieces, you'd be like, oh, that's kind of like a gimmick. But then like after the eighth show of it, you're like, man, these people are really, oh, yeah. they're doing it. No, you know, it's there's true. There's something to just be said about commitment to something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then there's also like, yeah, it's very strange how you can dismiss something and then you see it a million times and then you're like, wow, maybe it's actually good. And then I don't know, yeah, how much of that is like, just an impressive and being pressed with commitment or just being kind of like indoctrinated brainwashed. brainwashed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally pop music. Like doesn't pop music in a way, but it just brainwash you. Yeah. But then you, can. then you, sometimes you just feel it and you're like, yeah, this is catchy. You know, like that song that gets in your head that you can't stop singing. You're like, is it a good song or is it just brainwashing me to where I can't stop? Therefore, I think it's important. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like music is sort of, yeah, music that just is catchy. Uh, I, I, I believe that that is a real physical. I feel like that has to be physical. I don't think that's just brainwashing. Maybe it is. Maybe it's the same. It's not brainwashing. Maybe that is what happens with painting. But sometimes painting is like so bad or boring and lame and then you're like it's so bad and boring and lame and then you're like well maybe that's the point and with pop music you're not like this is so bad and boring and i'm not catchy maybe that's the point like i i don't think that no would there feel is that, that way yeah. there's like there's like noise or stuff right. that's abject but that's artistic right like isn't that right that's the framing of it and sometimes there really is an investigation in that stuff that's really compelling and sometimes it's just you know, I'm going to be different and like, you know, mm-hmm. bang a violin string off of the side of a, you know, metal pole for two hours and that's my song and it, it doesn't take it past, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, right, I right. think there's wiggle room on both sides. Right, that's true. There's both that kind of like, it's almost like, it's sort of elitist, right? The way that we try to be like, ooh, this isn't, you don't think this is good, but actually 
but sometimes right. that is true. Sometimes things that are just actually you don't think are good are turn out to be amazing. So yeah. it's complicated. And there, there are very challenging, like I've been to music shows that are very challenging. And I don't know that I necessarily liked it that much, but I do, I was thinking about it afterwards and saying to myself, man, they really stretched the boundaries of what I thought a show was going to be. Yeah. Which, and there's something in that. Mm-hmm. You know, like we've all seen movies that like, you know, I personally, I hate horror movies. Mm. I think I don't want to pay to be, you know, get the shit scared out of me, and, you know, just be there uncomfortable for two hours. But I've seen horror movies that are really good and they really affect me. And afterwards, I'm like, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> but it moved me, you know, right. in a way that's powerful. Yeah, but, you know, that's true. There's a big difference between liking something and not liking it and it having an effect or making you think. Right. Yeah. And. Yeah, I mean, I would, I think that in some ways, like, yeah, that's, that's, I guess there's different tacts that, I was going to say that all painting is trying to be interesting on that level of, you know, the unexpected level, but maybe that's not true. Like, I mean, not all painting, but in the art world, but that's well, not true I try true to sneak either. it in, though. I try to make my paintings look palatable like they're oh they're nice but there's like a creepy yeah sort of sinister thing that like lure them in with like a beautiful image or something that's alluring but then while you're looking at it you're like wait a minute yeah no i mean i do think (laughs) that's true about your work for sure i really i get that and then in my paintings i'm using these like very seductive kitsch things that i hope um also speak on some another level (laughs) you know they do dabbly. and I think that's the gift of art is that there's all these different avenues mm-hmm. you know what I mean certain people are going to like certain things or respond to certain things but it's cool that you can kind of reach people in different ways and different elements and with with art it's so different than music because to your point about like you know the way that you're building it there's so many quotations that you can do so many influences of like that kind of brushstroke relating to that era of painting that generally had this kind of feel but i'm subverting that and mixing it with this which is a totally different thing it's almost like you know collaging almost like sampling music or something you know like nowadays when i hear music on the radio i've i don't know if it just makes me feel old but like i'll hear different things i'm like oh that's from that and then i'll think that's from that genre of music that samples from that song they're channeling this person but they're mixing it with like this electronic stuff so it's like it's becoming like a stew with all these ingredients that blend together ideally well to make something kind of incredible but it's you know it's it's layered like we're getting more layered now that we have all this information and technology and all that stuff that it's it's kind of compelling and daunting and exhausting yeah yeah i mean it's i try uh, sometimes you can get concerned and critical of the amount of just constant sampling we are all doing but then also maybe it's okay. Maybe it's not, maybe it's just maybe. I mean, also the question is, have we always been doing that? Like, has it always been a certain amount of sampling? Like in the Renaissance, they were sampling Roman frescoes and yeah, things like that. So oh, totally. I think now we just have more to pull from. There's more at our fingertips. Yes, right. So it's just become wider. Like music was always sort of influenced by what's before it and taking bits and elements. Now it's like you can just literally cut and paste them into the file. Yeah, and actually there is an element to what I'm, what the work ends up being for me, my paintings, is that, you know, 
instead of just for me coming to the canvas and having my own personal histo art historical memory kind of overlaid on the images that I'm trying to morph, it's more like I have, because I'm working on the computer, I have the internet as this resource for, you know, if I have a thought, that thought extends into the computer to do a search, then the search turns up these things and one speaks to what I think I need to put into the work and then I try that. And, um, as a compositional element or so that yeah I mean it is just this kind of every everything in the world at your fingertips and then how do you make sense with that world yeah at your fingertips. I mean either either sonically or maybe the way it's made physically if you could relate your paintings to a band or a musician would you be able to do that is there any that you think of as like Oh, they're kind of, that's kind of like my vibe. Oh, man. I mean... Is that a hard question? <laughs> I, um... My vibe, God. I feel like I'm not musically... I mean, they're not pop songs. No. But they're I, not completely abstract I mean, either. Yeah, they're, I've never thought about this. And I have to say, like, I, at the moment, like, I'm not listening to a ton of music, but... um and like the first thing that I thought of was Animal Collective, <laughs> but, okay, because it's just like this layering of this like beautiful harmonies and really enjoyable things, but then it becomes really strange and dissonant. Yeah, it gets weird. Uh -huh. right? um, that works. Like I mean, maybe I'm not. Buttons, this is I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like moments of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I haven't really listened to. I just am like so weirdly like music. I can't listen to it as much anymore. Um, you listening to more like I listen to so many podcasts it's almost becoming podcasts. like and I listen to podcasts about science and weird um, yeah like well not always science but just kind of like philosophical stuff or isn't it great it's so weird we didn't have it I know like I mean there was a radio but it's like a new huge thing yeah, I think it's like, and for me, it's become like music. Like, I don't even always pay attention to everything that's happening, but it's somebody is talking about black holes, and I'm just, you know, it creates vibe for me. So, yeah, definitely. It's, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's like a music, but it's sort of, yeah, it's, I feel guilty about it too, because I think music is so important. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's just fractured. I think we, it's the same thing with like TV or movies. I think YouTube is like kind of analogous where it's like sort of destroyed a little bit of the sort of like focus of like, you know, a movie or a TV series or something because you could dip in and out of things so easily. Yeah. But you can find these little nuggets of awesomeness that you never would have, you know, there's something almost addictive too about like hopping around those different things and like today I'm interested in skateboarding and then you go down that rabbit hole and next day it's about, you know, horticulture. I don't know, whatever you can just go into a rabbit hole, yeah. you know, and it's right there. I'm, I'm, yeah. I, uh, I haven't gone that much on YouTube. I mean, I have, but oops, I'm, it's <laughs> terrible. Don't go there. Yeah. I mean, I'm sort of scared <laughs> of the weird. All I hear about is the radicalizing part of it. So of YouTube. Yeah. Oh, like that's... the, you know, people like get, go down rabbit holes, but they're bad radicalizing, like horrible oh, radical depends what you're there's that and anything yeah. you know what i mean right most of youtube is just like you know prank videos and like streamers or whatever that's true yeah 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I do a lot of passive. I mean, I listen to a lot of stuff where I'm just, yeah, it helps me focus. Oh, and true crime also has become a thing for me now. People love true Horrifying. crime stuff. Yeah. I've tapped in a little bit. I mean, I was there at the beginning with Serial, mm-hmm. you know, that podcast, which was really great. I think that really opened the floodgates. It did. Because that did so well and it was so well produced that people were like, okay, more of this. Yeah. And, you know, it's like a band that's really good that creates like a million followers. Like there's a lot of like crappy versions of it, but uh, there's a lot of great stuff, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, it's interesting how much media consumption we can have now and it's like you can have it all the time you can have it when you're in your studio you can have it when you're taking your dog for a walk you can have it all the time and so you know and we're obviously ingesting so much and is it is it okay i think it's okay but it it sometimes feels wrong (laughs) well can i bring up that just reminded me i saw yesterday a guy with a stroller and like an infant you know and he was taking obviously on the dad walk and he had the earbuds in and I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a hack. Like he's listening to his favorite podcast. So that walk's going great. Yeah. Whereas like, <laughs> like, is it good? I know that we can always be, have like entertainment or be sort of like amused or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't I'm know. Like I see it. My kid, it. I try to ever want to be bored. The kids never want to be bored. Yeah. No, it's just not even, there's no chance. It's like, you're always able to be connected. Yeah. Well, my kids are young enough where I don't, they haven't gotten into the, uh, screens really. And if, and they can't because if they have any, like if they, I mean, we let them, you know, do a little bit of TV here and there, but after half an hour, if we turn it off, they are just like goblins. So we, right. you know, try to avoid it as long as we can because they just become crazy. Yeah, but it's coming. I They're know. all going to, because what we found is when they hit a certain age, it's integrated into their life. Yeah. Like when they went on the computer for school mm. during COVID, it was over. Yeah. Game over. It's like basically sending your kid to school in an arcade yeah. <laughs> and saying concentrate, like concentrate on that Zoom. It's like no chance. Yeah. How old are your kids or one kid or two kids? Uh, one. Yeah. He's 14. Mm middle school it was tough you know how do you you know you have on one monitor your social studies teacher talking about blah 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 and on the other is like minecraft what are you gonna do yeah wow so yeah it was it's tricky but but it's just you know we just have to they their their task my task growing up i think was like staying alive right it was like when i go out making sure i'm home at a certain time or like not getting hit by a tractor trailer or whatever their task is going to be like navigating constant stimulus mm-hmm. and like, can they, how do they psychologically handle that? Because I think it's probably hard on the mind. Yeah. But they're, it's their natural habitat. So they'll be able to, to deal with it. I hope so. You know? Yeah. Uh, that would be like, you know, our parents saying like, well, I hope these kids can handle life with TVs. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we did just fine. We, we, <laughs> we, you know, there was probably a couple of years there where we watched a lot of TV, but we adapted to it. Yeah. I mean, I definitely watched a ton of TV. Um, Can I ask you a quick question mm-hmm. going back? Sorry. not. Was the Japan experience, how long was that? It was two and a half years. So my family so was there it, for six years, but I was there for two and a half. Did it affect, like, how did it affect you? Um, Such a different 
cultural experience. Yeah, I mean, I I loved being there, and I loved. I mean, it was just amazing. Like, it just it's the best. So people are nice. Great to be there. It's clean. Yeah, it was Polite. nice, clean. Um, just so interesting art, so interesting and so different. And I didn't really study a lot of contemporary art as a young person because I wasn't exposed to any of that stuff. It wasn't really a part of my life, but just learning about traditional Japanese arts and just kind of the sort of Buddhist underpinnings of certain things or even the Shinto pinnings of certain things and that as like a totally different worldview. Speaking of different realities. Yeah. Not only like with Shintoism, it's like you have people who just believe in like the day-to-day things, but then also this whole other parallel belief system and things. And, you know, it's, it's really... Yeah, the animation of objects, right? And the, uh, yeah. the animation of the nature and stuff like that. So, I mean, that definitely plays a role in my... my the kind of the symbolism that comes up in my work. Um, the morphing, this kind of metamorphosis and the way that... Um, you know, the way that that mythology was so different and even the storytelling, like, you know, whether it's Japanese, Japanese cinema or folk tales or ghost stories, like the structure of those things are so different. Um, like the ends of these stories would just be like, uh, you know, a guy, you know, I just remember this one story about this samurai going through the forest every day and he would see this beautiful woman, you know, getting water out of a lake and and then he would see her the next day and just be like, only saw the back of her and every day he would return and then finally he got up the courage to go say hello and she turned around and her face was as smooth as an egg. The end. <laughs> that was it. That's the folk tale. What's the moral? Like, wow, that is so weird. And so yeah. I love that idea that like you can have a story made out of something so different than what you that what you know. So like I love that idea of like having a landscape made out of something so different or or a sky yeah. turning into an arm or you know this that kind of way of the unexpected um structure of things. I do think it comes into my work. Plus, I love Japanese monster movies. Um, Godzilla, the kind of apocalyptic, monstery uh, horrors that, you know, it's just like very interesting. Did you learn about yokai? What's yokai? No, I don't know that. Oh, okay. It's like this ghosts that live. It's just ghost, basically, ghost monsters oh. sort of things. They're called yokai. There was like a cartoon that came out called Yokai Watch, which was like a play on that. But oh. it was, I mean, it's pretty like cool and weird. And, you know, yeah, there's a lot of that stuff. I know. Yeah. Well, it's just yeah, the ghost stuff. I don't know that word Yokai, but it is, uh, it's good. It's just really interesting and beautiful and, and haunting in different ways. So, um, yeah. So you're 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 injecting a little bit of maybe not like hyper consciously into the work. Yeah, I mean, I I think that there's this kind of I really like the monstrous qualities that come out of a lot of Japanese art, like the monstrous qualities of the um, of those films, kaiju films, but also like um, some anime weirdness, like Akira. 
and this kind of churning, horrific stuff that really comes out of humanity, like what we've done. Um, oh yeah, like World War II had such a yeah. huge impact on those. Yeah. And the horrors that like we unleash, but then like they become these beautiful, horrific, but interesting, you know, just churning monsters. I don't know. They're just, yeah, there's something in that. And so there is a lot of this kind of like churning stuff that happens in my paintings, which can seem Baroque, but I often actually feel like the energy is more related to that weird, um, kaiju madness like of crazy monsters yeah. just coming out of the of the earth because of what we've done <laughs> or just uh yeah the kind of yeah the the metastasized thing that grew out of control or something yeah is the is when you're doing the work is it pretty physical in that sense like because it it has a look of a lot of action and kind of like tension in that and i don't know i mean i've never watched you paint oddly enough you never live streamed it to my knowledge mm, so no. um what's the what's the process like is it well now i used to yeah i mean i i've always had been interested in a very gestural way that images um are formed on a on a painterly level um so when I do, there are sections of the work that have oil or even now I'm actually trying to use acrylic more because it's faster and easier to correct. Um, so I do enjoy like creating a gestural uh, language for depicting landscapes, um, but it's a lot more mapped out now. So yeah, I'll have a gestural moment, but then I do also, the skies are usually painted with an airbrush, which is much more, um, you know, it's just technical, it's not gestural. And then, but I do like this kind of sense of like expanding and like a glow and kind of like, you know, like now I'm playing a lot with these like sunbursts that kind of are like piercing all over the place and the diagonals. So it's sort of, a, it's, it's a little like, like sunbeams coming through the clouds. Yeah. Sunbeams coming through the clouds or even just like the sun, the way that it, the lens on an iPhone doesn't even, it's not like a regular lens. It just creates this kind of like star looking thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. So I think there's like an ecstatic energy. It's like an ecstatic um, energy that now I'm I'm often because I'm doing it on the computer. It's coming through the composition of like of the image, but um, I used to be really gestural, like physically, like I think. Um, so there is that energy. I'm interested in the ecstatic kind of intensity. So, but it doesn't always translate to me because the pores are what starts the painting. Like each painting starts off sort of like this, this uh, yeah. actually horizontal. Poor painting. Get a little Frankenthalery in the in the first in the beginnings. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is really, and you know, part of that, I I have always been like, I want all of the stuff. I'm trying to contain everything I love about painting, and that's everything. I mean, that's so many things. It's I love this, you know, the the physical part of the painting. And then I also love the illusionistic magic part of the painting. Um, so I want both. Like, I really want the paintings yeah. to do both things. And I guess that's not unique, but um, I literally put in some Frankenthaler. 
Yeah. And no, I mean, I think, you know, and the parallel, like if you listen to an animal collective mm-hmm. song, mm-hmm. you're getting noise, you're getting ethereal, you're getting melody, you're getting kind of like, you know, a little bit of abject. And like, it's, there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. And yet it all comes together to make sense. So it does. It sounds like unified in a way. Mm-hmm. And I think the, you know, the danger of, the danger of that working method can be like pastiche or a separate. It just feels like slamming things together that make no sense, unless that's the point of it, you know. But your work really does have like a cohesive kind of feel to it. It feels like you could go in there as opposed to just looking at it. Yeah, I mean, I want it to be a space that you can inhabit, uh, despite it's not even in the physicality of the pores, you know, becoming you know, remaining in the painting throughout the whole process of making it. Cause like that initial pour is like so clearly purely physical accident and to have that merge properly with a really intentional photographic sky or a really intentional romantic landscape, um, is sort of like, um, it's like, I, I don't know, if this is really accurate, but like I was think I think it's like Albert Olin would be really upset by my paintings, <laughs> like like because he would he would like just take all these things and put them together, but not and he would blend them in a really interesting and smart abstract way. But it is a little bit more about pastiche and you know what can a painting be and you know containing these digital moments and these um, other moments that you know, are sort of like forcing you to be like, what is going on? How could this all be in here, but yet look good? Whereas my work right. is a little bit more like how, I hope that you would say, okay, well, how can this all be in here and still make some sense in a in a weird space? Um, totally, to bring it full circle, I think you're kind of creating that parallel to life. Because there's a lot of aspects of our life that feel real, like gravity or, you know, Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we're walking on the floor and we're not floating around. Quantum There's physics and seems our experience stable. of the world. Yeah, exactly. Right. But at the same time, do we really know that this isn't, you know, a dream or like how is this? How do we? We don't know anything really. So you can see these parts of the image that there's a real matter-of-fact way it's painted, but then you're like, but does it all really exist or can this all really happen? So you get kind of like lost in that that world of like, you know being in between oh that's so nice thank you i like that that is what i want that is what i want i'm so glad to hear that because you're not just saying it's an abstracted landscape the way i used to that's where i used to get pegged i mean that was the oh where people take the yeah yeah, i mean there's nothing wrong with that it just wasn't what i wanted to communicate um that was a while ago i mean i think people do now communicate a little bit more about like i mean they'll say like dreamscape or you know which is fine but um it is, yeah, it's so much about... Surreal landscapes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. what can you do? You can't control what people see or think and, and what how they want to simplify things, but... Oh, I get the pop, cartoony, flat, you know, the same three adjectives for my work all the time. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And it's not no. that, just that. No. But, you know, you get it. It's like a, a pop song. Yeah. They're going to say it's, it's a poppy, blah, blah. You could be singing lyrics about, it sounds like pop, and it's like Elliot Smith or something, where it's like the most dark lyrics in the world, and... Be like, oh, it's just happy pop music, you know? Yeah. People like to boil things down, too. Right. But then that's our our desire to define and understand things because nothing is really understandable or definable, ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. And I I do like 
like, yeah, there's these metaphors to, yeah, so how we experience the world, how we kind of understand it to be operating on a quantum level and not really understanding how those two things are working together. And then also, I think there's also, like, I'm interested in, I mean, I also started making this work in the midst of the 2016 election and just, like, the complete beginning of this, I mean, not that it was the beginning, but just the obvious intensity of our having to deal with our totally dissonant understandings of the world and people coming up with really crazy ideas about what is actually going on and fully believing those things. And I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to make, and, and there's also like an element of the work that I wanted to allow it. I structured my process so that I could try to tap into something personally subconscious. Um, so I, I, I'm a, you know, in the, in the flow of consciousness of making these works, because they really are not controlled. Like what I'll do is I'll make, you know, a digital image on the computer and sort of have it laid out, but I will usually only choose one portion of that to apply to the canvas, whether it's the sky or the ground or, you know, some shadows to kind of separate the marks that are the pores to give them a volume. And then I'll rephotograph it without doing the rest of the painting. And at that point, usually the painting takes a turn. And that is, you know, instead of me painting over and over and over the canvas, I'll rephotograph of it and then do a whole new painting on the computer to kind of go along with what I've painted, responding to what I've done and how it's deviated from the original thing. And and so it, it's sort of like I don't have like a, a clear plan. And I do want it to express a certain emotion I have. So a lot of, oh, there's been a lot of emotions for the last six years. Yeah. <laughs> Intense feelings about the world. Why? Did something happen? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was there something different about the last six years? Yeah. Yeah, it's been, it's been a wild, a wild ride, that's for sure. Yeah, it is. And it really does question your, like, you know, it's, felt like to be honest before that for a while things were pretty stable or like you can we i think as humans can get kind of complacent and like oh yeah this is how things are and then you know things can just get a little we're only like this far away from things getting pear-shaped and kind of you know going off the rails yeah we really yeah we really felt so happy in 2008 we're like yes this is great i know <laughs> Except for the market crashing, but everything else was great politically. Oh, did that happen? Yeah. I know. It's crazy. It's just the, everything evens out. You know what I mean? I feel like the highs, the lows, it's all, you know. Yeah. Just when you think things are going great, boom. And then just when you think it can't get any better, I think that's just Yeah. Life. I mean, I, I've been having a... Yeah, I'm definitely... I managed to get through the pandemic and... You know, like all, like a lot of artists, it was great. I didn't care. I like being alone. I mean, it's kind of what we do anyway. Yeah, We're just in a room by ourselves. You get to yeah. just work alone and keep on working. Um, my kids were not old enough to really be miserable about not going to school. So well, lucky you. Yeah, that does <laughs> suck. Can't imagine. People say I can't imagine having little kids, but I think it'd be way worse to have older kids. Oh, it was, yeah. And you probably, I'm guessing you might have more space in LA than we do in New York. Yeah. Yeah. That was another, you know, I have a lot of friends from Los Angeles. They're like, yeah, it was great. Just went out in the yard and 
It's like, good for you. Yeah, no, <laughs> that sounds really horrific. I mean, it was, it was, it's can't even imagine. I mean, it was, I was lucky. I was lucky to go through something not so terrible. And then it felt, well, we we're all lucky to make it through who did, Yeah. you know, cause it could have been way worse. So. Right. Yeah. Um, but then it felt like it was sort of over and then now I'm really affected by, um, just like, yeah, just constant war <laughs> happening at this point. I know. Well, who decides after what we've just been through? You know, this is a, probably a good time to just go to war. Oh, God. What a dick. Yeah, that really is <laughs> terrible. I mean, you know, like... Oh, he's a dick. Now, now's the time. This is, was this the good time to do... I mean, this is crazy. Yeah. You know, it's just it's like life, you know? Yeah, it's it's Humans. rough. I'm I'm hoping I can... Yeah, I mean, it's just... I'm not saying... I'm personally affected and I am not feeling sorry for myself, but it's easy to get emotionally messed up by this constant shit. And then one thing ending and then the the whole another thing at starting was too much for me. I mean, if you, if you care about human beings and society and the world at large, Mm -hmm. it should affect us. You know, there's something slightly sociopathic about not caring at all being like whatever doesn't yeah, affect me you know what i mean yeah, that's not our country who cares not my concern yeah, yeah. uh so well what's your um so so your show's up now yeah which is exciting yeah how much more time do you have left on that show i guess it goes till june the mid sometime in mid-june or and beginning of june um so we got some time and i'm gonna ideally put this out asap so yeah, people will still have plenty of time to go see your show at miles McHenry gallery in new york city on 21st street 21st street yeah what number is it oh boy uh, it's next to gagosian yes and a loading dock yes yeah. it is, is it five let me look it up miles oh, i should know McHenry. you did a draw you did a painting of that i did but I, i'm bad with remembering numbers yeah, I mean, I'm on airplane mode, so I'm now not making a lot of progress. Hold on. Here come all your text messages. Yeah. <laughs> Miles McHenry, 21st. Yeah, no, I'm happy with it. And I actually am very excited about the catalog. They worked really hard to make the catalog. 520. Um, yeah, they do. Yeah. It was on the back of this. Oh. Another one of the paintings. Yeah. But yeah. 520 West 21st Street. Yeah. Um, what else you got going on? Anything? Well, I'm making a new show for my gallery here. Um, Can you pronounce it for me? Shulamit Nazarian. Got it. Yeah. I just wanted that on record. That's okay. Shulamit Nazarian. Yeah, Shulamit correct? Nazarian. Um, do you have a date? Or it'll roughly? be in November. Next. Yeah. Oh, nice. Right after they're going to do a show of Trent Doyle Hancock, who I love, who's like one of my heroes from grad school or when I was a younger person. I've actually never met him, but he's, he's doing a show and then I'll do a show. Um, that's cool. Yeah. So, uh, that'll be great. I mean, my work couldn't be more different from his, but I, the symbolism and the weird turns that his work takes in terms of like what, what his mythology is, is super interesting. Yeah, so. for sure. Um, and then you do social media and 
You have a website? I do have a website. I'm not great about updating all these things, and I do post things occasionally, maybe a couple, every couple weeks. Maybe I'll post more now, starting towards the end of the... It's confusing, because, like, I... I, yeah, I have, I'm, Instagram is such a strange thing because I can see it as like a political tool, but I do not want to, I can't, I can't use, go political on it because I, I don't, I don't know if it's useful for me. Like, I just don't know how, who am I going to, who am I going to reach? Like, what am I going to yeah, do? Yeah, I think you, I think we all have to decide how to whatever impact or whatever voice we want to have when it comes to that stuff we do it in the avenues that feel most constructive and authentic to us instead of just that's why i left facebook this it was getting too something you know what i mean yeah. and instagram's a place where i just post pictures of paintings and stuff and my friends and you know i do other stuff outside of that but you know you do it where you want to do it yeah right i mean I mean, some people have Instagram feeds of just like cats making funny faces, and it's great, yeah, you know. And true. that's a political statement. <laughs> it can be, yeah. It can be. Yeah. So yeah, I'll be posting some more stuff about the show on Instagram, and um, yeah, it was really, uh, really lovely to talk to you. I mean, is this the end of the? Is this the end of the talking? Or uh, I mean, again, it, yeah, I. I you know, it's been good. To put it, where are we at? An hour? Yeah, and I think that's good. So? So <laughs> I think that's fine. I remember. You. Let's leave room for a follow-up down the line. Yeah, at some point. yeah, that's great. Okay. Well. Also, I really would love to get out to LA one of these decades. So. Yeah. It'd be cool to like. I mean, it's, I feel like I have these new friends that I've talked to for the podcast, but I've never been to their studios, which would be fun. Yeah, you should come. We should have. We need to have a Brian Alfred show in Los Angeles. I, you know, the last one was it's Sandroni Ray. Yeah, I saw that actually on your CV, I think. I mean, that was what? It was 2003. It's been so long since I've shown in Los Angeles that, or had a solo show in Los Angeles, that my catalog had came with a CD ROM. Oh my God. With like, with like musicians wow. who made a soundtrack to the show. So you could. Whoa, that that's so cool. 2003. Yeah. I, I have probably just moved out here at that point for grad school. Yeah, those, those were the days. Yeah. <laughs> well. But yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's good to have galleries multiple places, but you also don't really need to. So. Well, yeah. I mean, I show in Japan a lot, which is cool. Oh, that is amazing. That's my dream. Japan. I haven't been back in 20 years. That is so Whoa, cool. 20 years. Yeah, it's been 20 years because my family left and haven't traveled there. I might try to go this spring with my family. So. That's what you call hisashi budi. What does that mean? It's been a long time. Oh, okay. Yeah, I studied <laughs> Spanish when I was there. But well, that makes sense. I studied a little bit of Japanese, <laughs> but I knew it was very hard to learn. I was going to be an archaeologist in Mesoamerica, so that is why I studied Spanish. Are you fluent in Spanish? Um, not fluent. I mean, I, but you can speak I can little. speak I it. I mean, much more useful, let's be honest. I mean... I wish I would have. I took French, which was lovely. Seven years of that, I wish I would have taken Spanish because I could have used it so much more. Yeah, it Being is. Being in New York... It's useful. ...be very beneficial. Yeah, it's useful, but French is cool. Um... It's fancy. 
Uh, I know, right? it, we used to have Nutella and baguettes oh, in, in class, and it was so exotic nice, and fun. Nice, cool. <laughs> our school was very, not, um, you know, it was very blue collar. Where did you grow up? <laughs> Pittsburgh. Oh, Pittsburgh. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, blue collar Pittsburgh. Very specific, blue collar. It is very specific. Okay. Well, listen. It was. Great to talk to you. Yes, it's so good to talking to you. Thank you for having me. Congrats on the show. Oh, thank you. It looks great. Everyone should go see it. So appreciate this. I appreciate the interview, and I appreciate your seeing the show, and I am a big fan. So thank you so much. Likewise. Thank you. All right. Sound of Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find out more about the podcast at the website, soundofvisionpodcast.com. And that's also where you can go to pick up the new book that's coming out. It's available for pre-order, Why I Make Art. If you like the podcast and you want to support it, I am guarantee you'll be into this book. There's a lot of great images and stuff in there, some quotes, and it's a fun book. So if you could pre-order it, it's 25 bucks. Go to my website. There's a bunch of links there. Or you could go to Altelier Edition's website. That's the publisher or art book. That's the distributor. And you can order it. That would be very supportive of you. And I guarantee that you're going to be into the book. So many thanks for that. Also, thank you to Michael Lovett for the intro. Thanks to Andy for talking to me. Thanks to Emily Burns for the graphic design for the podcast. And thank you for listening. Uh, If you could leave a rating and review for the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Podcasts or spotify wherever you listen to it that really helps the podcast and it's you know a couple minutes of your time that really goes a long way at helping out spread the word for the podcast so thanks for that and more great episodes coming up so stay tuned